Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. But at the end of the day, uh, greatness is about being a servant. It's about a person who understands the leader who understands that I'm in a, I'm in a spot here and I have this unique opportunity to help other people be great. And I have an opportunity to, to see a, a preferred future, a vision and help us go after that. And now here's your hosts. Noah and Bjorn. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the 53rd episode of The Sweat Room. My name is Noah Corston, and alongside my co-host Bjorn Webb, we are so honored and so blessed to have you today for our episode with Randy Gravitt. Randy is an author, speaker, and executive coach who encourages leaders to reach their potential. Randy's writings includes two books that he has co-authored with Dan Webster, one of our former guests, called Finding Your way and unstuck both titles are aimed at helping leaders discover their passion and live fully engaged lives guys i have gone through both these books they're phenomenal you need something to truly get unstuck and find your way and pursue some of the passions in your life read these books whether you're a 15 year old or 50 these books will help you out in 2014 randy founded integrate leadership where he currently serves as a ceo leading a team of coaches and consultants who work with high performance leaders Leaders, organizations, and teams all over the world. His clients include Chick-fil-A, Kroger, Hyatt, Fellowship of, of Christian Athletes, and much more. Randy is married. He has four daughters and has a grandson named Isaiah. And you can check out Randy on social at Randy Gravit on Instagram. And check out his website at randygravit.com. Randy also has an incredible podcast called the Randy Gravit Leadership Podcast, but it's changing to Chasing Greatness. Phenomenal podcast. You need something 20 to 30 minutes of wisdom and leadership nuggets, this is the podcast for you. So, so good. I can't speak high enough of Randy and Dan Webster. They're both two incredible leaders and doing incredible things for the kingdom. And today with Randy, we talk about what does it mean to be a nine to five leader? He's going to talk about that and how he came to know Christ, what he's learned from sports and much more. So excited for today's conversation with Randy. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. We're so glad that you've decided to join the Sweat Room podcast today. And if you're new to us, our motto is get it, got it, give it. We're always in every phase of this, always learning, always teaching, and always applying. We like to say here at the Sweat Room, everybody has a story. It's just a little bit different platform. And you're going to hear that today from Randy. And before we dive in, highly recommend to subscribe, rate, and review, and pass it along with a friend. If you really took a, a lot away from today's podcast, go and share with a friend. It's been a fun, fun journey being on the sweat room journey. And go check us out on social at Watermark Sports on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's a little bit different. It's at Sweat Room Pod and highly, highly recommend. If you don't have pen and paper or your notes app on your phone for this episode, do it. Whether it's a sentence or a word, write some things down because Randy is going to say some incredible things. And I usually listen to my podcast at 1.5 speed. This is a 1.0 because Randy is going to spit some fire at you guys. So, so excited for today's episode. And even if you don't jot some notes down, we have a blog at watermarkwesleyan.com slash blog if you want to read up more on today's episode. So without further ado, here is our episode with Randy Gravit. We want to welcome to the sweat room, Randy Gravit. Randy, thanks for joining us today. 
Thanks. I'm so excited to be with you. And and there's nowhere better to be than the sweat room. So that's awesome. Amen, amen. <laughs> amen to that. So we're so glad to have you. And you're known as a high capacity leader. And we'll dive into that. But one of the things that we know about you is you're an athlete for a bit. What sports did you play? And did you have a favorite? Well, I'm old enough where when you're a kid, you played every sport. You know, we we were we would move from I think I think baseball just opened up a couple of weeks ago. So we were playing baseball in the spring and then we would play football in the fall and basketball in the winter. And, you know, it was just roll out the ball and it didn't matter. We were, we were looking for a ball to uh, play. And when we weren't playing, you know, on our teams, we were at home in the yard <laughs> with, with our brothers and, and friends, you know, we'd always have a, a game going of some kind. So we didn't really specialize probably like kids do these days as much, but I, yeah, I, I played football and I played basketball and baseball and uh, actually ended up being a tennis player when I got to high school and I did pretty good with that. And so I played tennis in college and um, had a chance to play football in college, had to choose between the two. And so I ended up going the tennis route and my, I think my head's pretty glad that I did at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, very good. And did you have a, so I, I played tennis in college as well. And I know I have my preference, but do you have a preference between singles or doubles and maybe why? Uh, you know, I, I, I like the singles, but I was actually a, uh, a good doubles player as well. So it was, it was, uh, either one, I mean, was, was fun. I, I, uh, I wasn't Mr. You know, your name Bjorn, uh, back then Bjorn Borg was, uh, he was Mr. Ground Strokes. I, I, just had, sure. I had a big serve, so I didn't, you know, I, serve and volley. There you go. <laughs> serve and volley. I, I, you know, the doubles was great, but singles was, was, was a lot of fun and, ended up getting me through college. So <laughs> that was good. Very good. Very good. So yeah. Randy, part of how, you know, we, we've had a couple of books we had a guest named Dan Webster that we know that you've been a co-author with. Could you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Dan and maybe how you guys met for the first time? Uh, yeah, I was, um, probably it's been 25 years ago. Now I, I ended up, uh, at a conference at a, uh, um, it was a leadership conference at a church, um, in near Chicago. And Dan was there as one of the speakers mm. and I just stumble into this room and I'm listening to him teach. And I'm thinking this guy, he, he's Dan's a little older than I am. And so he just, I mean, it was just great to listen to this guy, um, you know, just talking and, um, we struck up, a. uh, well, I won't even say a friendship at that point, I reached out to him and actually had him come and do some stuff. Uh, for a staff that I was a part of and he, and he, uh, through the years, four or five times, he did some retreats for us and some things to help us grow. And, uh, we just became friends and I don't know, probably 15 years ago now, uh, I was at a point in my life where I knew I wanted to do something different at some point. And so Dan said, Hey, come and let me do a, let me do a life plan with you. And I didn't know what that was. I, I, you know, uh, I thought, okay, that sounds pretty cool. And so I scratched some money together and he gave me a big discount and I ended up in Holland, Michigan for a couple of days and just recalibrated really as I thought about my life. And cool. so anyway, long story short, Bjorn, we, we about four or five years later ended up writing our first book together. Dan invited me to partner with him to write finding your way. And then we ended up doing a sequel called unstuck. And I, I can tell you about those at the end, but, um, yeah, so that's how we met. And, uh, he's been a, just a huge mentor, coach, friend, really older brother. Um, 
I, I have a younger brother, but I, I don't have an older brother. So he, he's kind of been, the, he's kind of been my big brother in, in so many ways, protected me, looked out for me, sends me books all the time, kicks my tail when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. So yeah, he's great. I love that. And I, we'll get to those books in a little bit, but finding your way and unstuck was so good. I, I love both those books and it's really helped me and kind of just my, my journey where I'm at and just my point of life. So thank you for, for writing those books. So one of the things that we know about you is you're a high impact leader. So what sparked you, what sparked your interest to be a high impact leader and what fuels your passion for leadership? Uh, yeah, that's a great question, though. I think what sparked it to start with was I was, um, you know, I was always part of, you know, we were talking about sports a minute ago. I was always part of a team, and I realized when we had good coaches, good, you know, ability to work together, those kind of things, we were always a lot more successful than if we didn't have a good coach and and if, if everybody wasn't, like, engaged and, you know, together, there was so mm. much going on there. And I, and I think it was through athletics that I realized that leadership is an important deal. I mean, when mm. you, you're well-led, things usually go pretty well. When you're not well-led, they don't go so well. Mm. And so that, um, you know, I, I think couple that with this idea of high performance that you talk about. I don't know what it is, but I just uh, – I, 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 my whole life, I just wake up every day thinking, how can I maximize my – opportunity and um i'm pretty driven as far as that goes and so that it was just always a part of the way i was wired up and and i thought you can be driven but if you're not well led it still doesn't work out well and so i think coupling those together that's what first got me to thinking about it and then you know i had i had opportunities through the years to lead several things and and I, and I realized real quick, this leadership thing is not easy. It, it is a challenge. And so mm-hmm. I, I think um, it just, you know, at, at the end of the day, I believe people deserve to be well-led. And so I, I don't know at what point, I mean, you, you, you know, you learn as you go and maybe you make it up as you go, but I, I was, I was continually learning and, and, and I just really began to see the effects that the leader has on everything around them. So yeah, it's become a passion and obviously I've really devoted my life to it in a lot of ways. Mm. Wow. That's, That's so, so cool. cool. And and you've, I'm sure, you know, have worked with as many people, just a lot of different leaders throughout your life. Are there any leaders that you've worked with that maybe you've learned something from and that inspire you? And maybe what what who are they and maybe what have those been? I know it's a uh, large question, but man, uh, yeah, it, it really is as old as I am. I mean, I've been around so many great leaders and so many world-class organizations. Um, we get to work with companies and teams and in so many places. And, you know, when I think about uh, the best leaders I've been around, we mentioned Dan Webster a minute ago. He's just, uh, he's so thoughtful. He's, he's, he's really good at process thinking. I mean, he's really one of the best process thinkers I've ever been around. if not the best. Uh, I think about, uh, Mark Miller, who is, is a guy that I do a lot of writing with and I've partnered with some with his work. Mark is a, a vice president of high performance leadership at a little company called Chick-fil-A that probably some of your listeners have heard from everybody. Loves Never it. heard of Chick-fil-A before. Loves right? chicken sandwich. <laughs> it's so, funny. I'm, I'm meeting, I'm meeting two guys at Chick-fil-A for lunch today. So uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Chick-fil-A. So, um, yeah, Mark, Mark is maybe the best all around thought leader, uh, servant leader, just a great, um, you know, I, I've learned so much from him. 
uh, in the sports world, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with some different sports teams. I had a chance to spend several years uh, on and off doing some stuff with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Clint Hurdle was their manager at the time uh, all those years. And uh, Clint's positivity, his optimism, his, uh, his principle-centeredness, if that's a word, yeah. just infectious. And, you know, I, 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 as I watched him lead, um, I was just reminded again that, that positivity is like a muscle. When you, when you flex it, it actually grows. And it, in an organization, it becomes uh, contagious. And they were at that time in a small market and it's, you know, um, I mean, we see all these, these contracts that these big market, you know, the Dodgers and Mets and all these teams are throwing around right now, all this money. Sure. That, that was not the case in a market like Pittsburgh. You guys live in Buffalo, you know, you know, small market teams. <laughs> small market, yep. Exactly. Big heart uh, though. <laughs> done a couple of things with the bills the last couple of years and uh, coach McDermott, same way, just looking at his process thinking and the, the discipline of their culture uh, is so powerful. I mean, I could, I could go on and on all day. I, I think I've been, uh, I really have been in, impacted by so many people when it comes to the leadership thing. It's just crazy. So <laughs> I think we all carry with us, you know, sure. that, those stories, my mom and dad, I mean, I go all the way back to my mom and dad. My mom is, was a, uh, uh, it still is. My mom's still alive at 81 and she's, wakes up every day charging the hill kind of so to speak (laughs) my dad died about four years ago they were great community Mm -hmm. leaders my dad was one of those coaches that one of the good coaches that I had so yeah I mean it it, you just you kind of take it with you and and I I love the question because it just makes me reflect on all the people that have an impact on my life Mm. I love that and you dangled the carrot a little bit so I I gotta ask and if you're like you know no I can't tell you this this is private I can cut this out but what is something of because we're in Buffalo and Bjorn is so passionate about the Buffalo Bills I love the Buffalo Bills myself what is something that you noticed with the process of Sean McDermott uh yeah I would say um one of the things that that I love is just the the, the discipline of the culture. I mean, it's just uh, he's a culture guy. It's very clear from the you know a couple of times I've been with him to see just how he thinks. And I love the fact that they have a uh, a mindset of you know one of their one of their mottos is playoff caliber. They want to play that because you, you got to get in the tournament to try to go. You know, almost made it all the way this year. It was great, but. Um, but I, I think that shift from uh, uh, playoff caliber to championship caliber, that championship mindset, Ooh, you can good. just see that. And, and, and it doesn't, you know, what I've noticed, again, I've, I've had limited uh, time with Sean himself, but, but what I've been, when I've been around those coaches and have been around him, I, I, I don't think complacency is going to be an issue. I mean, I think they're, yeah. And I don't think they're measuring their success. I mean, they are obviously want to win a world championship. It'd be crazy. I'm, I'm assuming for your city, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> all the, the seconds in the nineties oh, yeah. and, you know, almost got there this year. I mean, I, I can't imagine what a Super Bowl for Buffalo would be. It'd be, it'd be incredible. But I, but I think that they're not competing against, uh, they're really not competing against, um, the competition. The competition for those guys is, it, it literally is, how good can they be? They're, they're fighting against complacency. I talk to leaders about that all the time that, you know, complacency really is your biggest rival. And so I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to settle for anything less than their very best every day. So that, yeah, that's what I would say there. 
Well, Randy, one of the things that we know about you is you have a passion for leadership, but you're also a passionate follower of Christ. How did, how did you come to know Jesus Christ as your savior? Yeah. Uh, I think I, I was mentioning my mom and dad, you know, we were, we were, um, raised in a home where we went to church and that was part of our lives. Um, I, you know, there, but there came a point for me personally, where, when I was about 10 years old, I realized that, you know, there was a God and I wasn't him. I mean, I just, I just knew in my heart, I, I really, um, you know, I just, I just wasn't thinking correctly based on what I was hearing as I, mm. as I wrestled with the Bible and, and just in that small little way. And so, uh, I knew I didn't want to do my life on my own. If there was forgiveness available and, you know, the opportunity to, to, uh, at the time, you know, you, you know, in your little mind as a kid, you don't even realize it probably, but the, the, the opportunity to be invited into a relationship with God was really cool. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's when that started. And, uh, it's been a, it's been a, uh, it's been a great journey, but it's been one that I, you know, I still feel like I'm so far from where I need to be. And I'm, I'm still grateful for God's forgiveness in my life. And I'm, I'm thankful for his leadership. I'm thankful for the truth. I really am a big, I love to read the Bible and I do believe that the truth sets you free. Uh, and so it's been a, it's, I mean, it's, it's really a massive part of my life. I mean, without that, I don't, I don't know how I would have any hope at all. So, mm, yeah. Amen. I love that. I love that. So the next question that I want to ask Randy, I love your podcast. I've loved your leadership course and so much that you talk about is being an optimistic leader. And one of the things that I was listening to that I know that you are a big fan of is Jim Collins, his book, good to great. Um, and there's a question in there that he asked and I'm like, I got to ask Randy this question once, once he's with us on the SWAT room and it's in reference to the Stockdale paradox and in Jim Collins book, good to great. And yeah. for those of our listeners who don't know what the Stockdale paradox, it's in reference to James Stockdale, who was a POW also known as prisoner of war for seven years. He was a prisoner. Mm. Jim Collins says that what the Stockdale paradox is, you must maintain unwavering faith that you can, you can and will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficult difficulties. And at the same time, have the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So Randy, I got to ask this question. How do you discern when to be optimistic about a situation and being real, being realistic about a situation? That's a fantastic question. Uh, and, and I may answer it a little bit differently than, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think about this maybe differently. I, I think attitude is a, it, I'm, I'm totally in charge of my attitude. I'm totally in charge of my optimism. I'm totally in charge of my sense of belief. And yet I've been in situations before where our team wasn't going to win. Our team was, <laughs> our team was not going to make the playoffs. Our team was going to be, um, I was actually a part of, I actually coached a team one time where I was, when I got the job, I was a, I was a high school girls basketball coach 25 years ago. And this guy, when he hires me in the interview, he says, we didn't win a game last year. And I really don't care if you win any games this year. And I'm like, wow. okay, that's not going to work for me. But <laughs> that was his attitude in, in the interview. And uh, I was a young guy at the time and I had these teenage girls I was going to be coaching. And his, his, here's what he said. He said, number one, don't do anything stupid. That's, that was, his, <laughs> that's all I'm looking for. Just somebody that won't mess this up sure. you know, from a, from a moral standpoint. And so that was his marching orders. And 
I was like, that is not going to, I mean, I, I don't want to do anything stupid. I, I, I'm, I checked the box on that, but, but I certainly uh, want to win some games, but we only won three games that year. And yet, as I look back, that year was foundational for what would happen four or five. Well, we were in the state championship game four years later. And so it, that, that year, go back. I mean, it would have been easy to just say, this is not going to work out. We're not going to make playoffs. We're not going to be very good. I'm just mm-hmm. going to check out and quit and be pessimistic sure. about this. But I think that sense of optimism, you can be in a losing situation and still be positive. Mm-hmm. You can be in a winning situation and still be negative. And ultimately, that a lot of times keeps the team from reaching the, the – that attitude piece or that optimism piece or that sense of belief or togetherness oftentimes is what differentiates the good teams from the great teams that mm. you can even have a little less talent sometimes. I mean, you got to have great talent, but you can have less talent in defeat. Uh, we see, we see teams with a sense of belief and togetherness so many times defeat teams that don't who are, you know, they're underdogs, so to speak. And then they end up winning. Wow. So I, 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 I wouldn't say it's, you know, pull the plug time, but I would say this, there are, there are times when you do need to pull the plug mm. and, and you need to be positive that you need to pull the plug. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I know I need to do this and I still have a good attitude. And I, and I hate the fact that we're going to lose here or this is not going to work or I need to change or I need to stop this job or change teams or what, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta have some different people. I gotta let somebody go. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios here, but I think that sense of optimism and belief is something you carry with you, no matter the circumstances, the circumstances Mm. oftentimes are beyond your control. Your attitude is totally in your control. Mm. And I say to, I say to people, um, you know, I remember years ago, the pirates had a saying uh, to control the controllables. And I think, you know, we see that in a lot of organizations, a lot of athletes, they talk about that, but I, but I challenged them. I said, why don't you dominate the controllables? If it's something you can control to me, that's something you want to dominate. It's it, everything else is hard enough. If there's sure. places where you can run up the score, you should run up the score. And I think your attitude is one of those places where you, you really have the chance to run up to score. So I, I, I think the answer I would say to your question is even if it's a bad situation, you still have control over your positivity. You, you, you don't, you can't always control the circumstances, but you, you, you have total control over your sense of belief. So hopefully that's helpful. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting, Randy. So I know for a leader, you know, it can be maybe easier to stay optimistic when you're winning just three games or two games to say, yeah, I'm okay. I'm doing this for the kids or, you know, Hey, we at least won two games. I think oftentimes, and I've noticed this for myself, it's a lot harder to be optimistic when I'm on the team. I'm one of the players um, when I was in high school or college and playing. How can a leader or a coach maybe transfer some of that optimism in optimistic leadership, like focusing on controlling or dominating the controllables? How can they transfer that to those they're leading and to their followers to instill that optimism maybe within the culture? Yeah, I, I think um, communication is huge. You know, if, if if let's just say I'm coaching a team here, you guys are on the team, and I'm just frustrated because we're losing, we're losing, we're losing, and I'm coming down on y'all, and like, why are we not playing like, and I'm not probably doing very good either, and I'm not training or developing you or whatever, and, and, I, and I'm negative about it, um, I, I, I think – that just defeats everything we're trying to do. But if I sit down and I say, Hey, Bjorn, tell me, tell me some things that you think you can control. And we have a conversation about that. And then you prepare, Mm -hmm. we're not letting, I mean, and I understand we're supposed to win. I mean, I'm I'm like in first in line, I want to win, 
but I'm not going to let the light bulbs on a scoreboard define and, and give me my sense of worth. Mm. Wow. What I, what I have the opportunity to do is, is maximize my potential, be as good as I can. And truthfully, if I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> race Stefan Diggs, it, it doesn't, I mean, I can try <laughs> as hard as I want to, I'm going to get smoked. So it's, it's, it's like, you got to understand there's times where you're just, there's just a different level of competition, but what I, and I'm not going to be held responsible or accountable when I stand before God someday, go back to my faith. I won't be, I won't be held accountable. Was I at, you know, I'm 56 years old. Was I at 56 as fast as Stefan Diggs in his prime? That, that I'm, I've never been that fast. And so that's not going to, I'm not going to be held accountable. What I am going to be held accountable for was I, did I do the best I could with what I had? Mm. And I think the best coaches understand and, and when they can really communicate with their players and, and have those conversations about, are you giving your best? Where is there a gap? Where would you like to get better? You know, and they, and they focus on that training side of things and they get the bet that, you know, it's, it's the best coaches get the best out of their players. That's mm. really what gets them there. It's, it's like the old, I've, I've heard the old saying that the best coach, he can take his and beat yours and he can take yours and beat his. It's like, they just, they have this uncanny ability to get the best out of their out of their talent. And, mm. and it doesn't matter what kind of talent you give them. They're going to, they're going to help them reach the, that level, but you can take a, you know, a Juco team and they're not going to beat Alabama. That's just not going to happen. Those five-star athletes are just so much bigger, stronger, faster. Um, so I think, I think it's a, uh, it, you know, it's, it's got to start with communication. If the leader gets down and is negative and is critical it's there is no way everybody else can stay positive. So it starts to me again, it just goes back to the importance of leadership. It starts with the mm-hmm. leader. Wow. Yeah. I, I love that. I think that's so true. And I've, I've definitely seen that be true in my life where there've been times where the leader has really led from a stance of, you know, this is who we are. And, you know, maybe winning four games in a year is the largest accomplishment ever. And that is the peak. And when the leader leads from a stance of, you know, being optimistic and focusing on controlling what they control or dominating those controllables and focusing on sharing that optimism with the team. That's when we see, you know, that success happen. And I've, I've been on teams where, you know, maybe we've, you know, gone to the championship game and lost and the coach is really upset because he knows we were the better team. And that's frustrating when, okay, maybe the team has the potential to be Stefan Diggs fast, but he loses to Randy Gravit in a race. All right, people are going to be upset because they have that potential. Um, but I think let me say this. Let me say this. At the end of the day, it's not you can't just rah rah your way to what I'm talking about. I mean, you still have to. I, I like your your word sweat room. You still have to get in the gym. You still have to get on the field. You have you have to you got to show up in the weight room and you got to you got to put in the work. I mean, it, no matter what level you are, that work is what is what is going to ultimately determine you reaching your potential. I mean, think about it today. I, I bet you anything uh, we're in the middle of the basketball season, the NBA season, Steph Curry, probably the greatest shooter that's ever walked on planet earth. And I'll bet you money. He's in a gym somewhere today, shooting four or 500 free throws. Just work. He's, he's the best free throw shooter ever. And yet when nobody's looking, he's still in there training and working and he's not saying, well, I'm better than all the middle schoolers. So I probably don't need to, or I'm better than everybody in the NBA. I probably don't need to practice. He's still putting in the work. So sure you can be optimistic all you want to, you still got to do the work. So it's, it's, but, but you can do the work. And if you've got like, what's never enough mindset, it's, that's, what's going to be the lid. So I, mm-hmm. I'm, I think it takes the cap off when you have that, 
optimism and you couple it with the sweat room, you, you got something really cool at that point. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And I think it's, it's very true in this sort of competitive comparison culture that we live in where it's our nature and our culture for me to sit next to Noah and say, I'm comparing myself to him in whatever I do or kids that are playing basketball, comparing themselves to LeBron James and Steph Curry. It's no, some of those kids, they will never be as big, fast and strong as those athletes. Randy Gravitt will never be as fast as Stefan Diggs, but if they can look at themselves and like you say, dominate the things that they can control and control those. Well, they can be the best that they can be and reach that peak. Mm. That is a success. Well, and, and for me, a, a true optimist or a true person who is who is reaching their potential is actually go back to what you just said about comparison. It, that person is also happy for Stefan Diggs. I mean, I, I, you don't you don't look at that person and begrudge that. You either try to get better if you have that kind of potential, or or, or you actually celebrate the fact that this guy's working hard and he's reaching his potential. Or if he's not, you challenge him on that. Whatever. I mean, yeah. it's it, so I think it's uh, yeah. There's the old quote that comparison is the thief of joy. I think a lot of people walk around going, looking at everybody else's Instagram page going, why can't my life be like that? And rather than how good can my life be and forget about all that. I mean, it's everybody else's, you know, best picture and whatever. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's not even real. That's not a real way to, I mean, I'm I'm on Instagram. I'm not against it, but you you hear what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think to the sport of cross country or track and field where it is a competitive sport, but it's also individual. But oftentimes when I watch those races, even if it's in the Olympics, sometimes the guys that are in second or third are the most joyful, happy for what they did. Because that's a sport where, yes, you are racing against the guy next to you, but every one of those racers, runners, they know what their personal best is. Mm. And it's not on any given day. It's okay. My personal best can't be 30 seconds faster. Yeah. Like in in a mile, they know, okay, if that runner, his personal best 20s, like they know that. And so when somebody runs and gets third place and they beat their personal best by three seconds, it's wow, this is incredible. It's like, well, you lost. Like, why are you so happy? It's no, cause they, they won what their goal was. Well, and they're, and they're racing against the clock or racing against, the, I mean, they're really racing themselves. If you think about it, eh? sure. can I beat everybody else? That's great. But if I can't beat myself, you know, if I give if I give eighty percent of what I'm capable of, and I still beat everybody, am I going to feel good about that because I raced a bunch of slow people? I mean, that mm-hmm. that's not. I mean, you know, and I think we have this false sense. I think we'd be a lot better off if everybody would, you know, put this standard out there and say, "I'm going to go after how good can I be." I love golf course. I, I play golf a lot, and a, a golf course. Bobby Jones, who's from was from down in this area in Georgia. He always famously said, every day the golf course makes par. Every hole, the, the, the hole is going to make par on every hole. And so the standard is there. It's like, can you compete against, not your buddies, but can you compete against this golf course when you show up? It's like, that's, it's, you got enough on your hands with that. What can, yeah. You know, forget everybody else. When it's over, we'll add them up if you, you know, on a tournament for those pros. But, and I love that idea that there's a standard there and you're just saying, how good can I be compared to how good I can be? You know, it's a powerful powerful mindset. And and as we're talking about, we're talking about winning a lot and how maybe it's not, you know, it's not the biggest factor in everything. I have to quote my mom because she, she, she (laughs) preached to me growing up. She said, Bjorn winning is not everything. And then she always would finish and say, but it's a lot more fun. (laughs) And so that was, that encouraged me to say, Bjorn, it's okay if you lose, 
but it's still okay to pursue winning. Yeah. And that's still a lot of fun. And that can still be one of the reasons why you play. It can't be the only reason, but it can be one of those. Um, and, and I just love that. And I'll, I'll probably like, hold that with me. Yeah, she, she was a good one. One of the, one of the strongest, greatest leaders I've ever met. Um, so Randy, one of the things that, that we've heard you say before, and we want to know a little bit of what this means is how leadership needs to focus on five to nine, five to nine leadership. What is that? Yeah. When I talk about five to nine leadership, you know, and we live in a little bit different world now than, than what we did when we all, everybody talked about the nine to five, but I think even young people, you know, when you say nine to five, everybody's thinking, okay, that's work. Uh, and that's what happens at work. And, sure. and I, and I love that. I mean, that's great. And, and that's really where your leadership gets flexed and you have a chance to build teams and solve problems and create organizations and companies. A bit. It's all great. I mean, what happens from nine to five is great, but for leaders, I think what happens from, from five to nine outside of work really does determine what happens at work. And in, mm. in a lot of cases, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and when I say five to nine, it is about your, if you're married and have a family, your, your, your family relationships is a part of that. Mm. But how do you take care of your body? That's usually outside of work. How do you, how do you take care of your money? That's usually outside of work. If you think about it, stewards your resources, how do you take care of your own personal growth and development? Those are things that are happening, not usually on the clock. And, and so I, I think that if you, um, it, I say it this way, if you win at work and you lose at home, I think you still lose. I, mm-hmm. I know so many people who seemingly have this successful career, but if their marriage blows up or if their kids don't respect them, or if they don't have a relationship with, you know, any kind of friends or anything, or if they, you know, if their finances are a mess, you know, they're, they're, they don't take care of themselves physically, spiritually, their soul, whatever it's, there's, there's something missing there. And so I think, you know, life and leadership need to be integrated to the point of, uh, you know, when I say the word integrated, it's, 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 it comes from our math word integer integrity is that wholeness that a person carries with them. Who's, who's really got it, uh, balanced. I don't know if balance is the right word. Uh, it, it's, there's tension there. And so balance really is kind of living in the center of that tension because work and home are going to pull against each other. But I do have control over some things at, at home as well. And so, you know, from, for me, we had four little girl, four grown daughters now, but when they were, when they were at home, you know, did, did I, did I lean in when it was time to read those bedtime stories or did I just go through the motions? I mean, it, it, you can be somewhere and not really be there. And so I I think there's so much that happens from five to nine. If we don't understand that and lean into that, our life is going to be missing so much when it's all said and done. And, and, and I'll, I'll leave you with this on this, on this question. Um, when I think about those family relationships, even when you talk about five to nine, it's, it's the way I'm thinking about it these days uh, as I'm older is, is I want to live my life in such a way that the people who know me the best love me the most. Mm. I know so many leaders who the people who know them the best respect them the least because they're, they're not engaged. They're not leaned in all that kind of stuff. And so I have no regrets at being at all those games for my kids and coaching their teams and, you know, being faithful to their mom and all that stuff. I mean, that is to me huge from the marriage and family side of it. 
but I also, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just like everybody else that's listening. I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, do I want to work out today? Probably not, but I never regret it when I do after it's over. I'm like, you, you just, you know, I always say you never regret doing the right thing. And truthfully, you, you do regret it when you know what to do and then you don't do it stuff. You have control over, you don't show up for your workout. You don't go to, you don't go to sweat. And, mm-hmm. and the next thing you know, you're five pounds overweight or, you know, and then a year later, you're seven pounds overweight and a year later, and, and you just drifted from greatness. And, and, you know, my friend, Mark Miller always says, no, no one drifts to greatness. I mean, it's like, you've got to be intentional. You got to show up. Yeah. And we think about that from nine to five, but, but, Man, I think so many times we don't really think about what happens from five to nine. And so I'm just trying to make sure the conversation didn't get lost and we don't, you know, we don't lose sight of what happens outside of work. Cause I think that really is what positions us to win at work. That's so good. And one of the things that we know about you, and as we're finishing up, I, I'd love to know how people can find your work, your books. But one of the things that you have right now is your podcast. It's the Randy Leadership Podcast, but it's shifting to chasing greatness, chasing greatness podcast and yeah it's a phenomenal podcast i recommend all of our listeners go check out randy's podcast because you're crushing it and yeah, uh, you just you just the recent one that you had recently was with mark miller and talking about being a serving leader and what, what does that mean to in terms of chasing greatness as well so as we finish up this will be the last big question what does chasing greatness mean to you yeah several years ago probably close to 20 years ago now i i created a uh a training resource for a team I was leading that I, that I was, I just walked them through this framework as I was thinking about, you know, greatness and, and what that looked like. And I've been fascinated with this idea of chasing greatness. Cause I don't, I, I don't think we always have the proper definition of greatness. I think so many times we think the person who's great is the one who has the trophy. Mm. And that is not a biblical definition of greatness. I think the Bible would say we should maximize our potential. We should work hard. We should do everything we can uh, to take care of our talents and skills and grow those, those things are really important. And I love getting trophies. They're fantastic. (laughs) But at the end of the day, uh, greatness is about being a servant. It's about a person who understands the leader who understands that I'm in a, I'm in a spot here and I have this unique opportunity to help other people be great. And I have an opportunity to, to see a, a preferred future, a vision and help us go after that and to mobilize a team and to build them and, and, and to solve big problems and those kind of things. It's, I think those leaders who understand that they have this huge opportunity for impact and influence, man, that is, that is, that to me is, you know, maximizing my potential, doing the best I can with what I have, having a sense of belief when we're in the middle of a losing season, all those kind of things, but also understanding that there are people on my team that are hurting or there are people on my team who have more in them that needs to be called out. I mean, greatness is, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating multifaceted, uh, you know, idea, this chasing greatness thing. So we've shifted our podcast to this. We we're talking really about how great people think and, and the way they think. And it's been a, it's been a cool thing. I actually am interested in, uh, or I say interested. I'm, I'm working on this concept and turning it into a book at some point. I got a couple of books. I've got a book that I've just, uh, uh, it's done now. And I'm, I'm, I've got to get that published, uh, called, uh, leadership begins at home. Winning begins at home. That's the idea of this, but, but, but one on the heels of that will be one that I want to do called chasing greatness. So awesome. I think it's a big idea. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, a uh, it's, a uh, um, misunderstood term 
And we're just trying again to help define the way people think about, you know, what really matters and, and, and uh, what kind of opportunity they really do have. Cause when the leader lives into her potential and lives into her influence or he does, everybody around them gets better. It's just, there's just nothing better than being well-led. It really is. So well, we're trying to encourage and equip leaders to do that as best we can. Wow. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the piece of intentionality. If nobody drifts to greatness, you got to be intentional. You have to be intentional. And that's in every area of our life, whether it's nine to five when you're at work or whether it's five to nine when you're at home, uh, parenting, nobody just wakes up one day and a great parent. I mean, I, I'm guessing that I'm not a parent myself. But so he's maybe getting can, married soon, Randy. I'm getting married so soon. This so. is good. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I won't wake up a great husband. I, I'll have to work on that. And no, every- you're, you're going to have to put work in there. You, and, and it's just like anything else. You get out of it what you put into it. And 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 I just think there's so much there. So yeah, yeah that's, that's good. Great stuff. So you've mentioned that you're, you know, you've got another book, you've got one book that's in the works. You've got another one that's on the mind that wants to be written. Could you tell us a little bit about the, maybe a book or two that you have already written? What are they called? Where can people find them? And what are they all about? Yeah. Well, I've done the last couple have been books that I've done with, uh, with Dan Webster that we mentioned, and I've got actually copies of them here. I'll hold them up for your people who are watching if they're on YouTube or whatever, but I have finding a way that we did. This book is about a college, uh, senior, uh, named Mark who realizes first page of the book. He's in, he's in, uh, the wrong major. He's home at Christmas break. He tells his dad and his dad flips out cause he's been paying tuition for four years. He's like, that is not, you don't need to change, you know, who changed yeah. their major in their senior year. <laughs> and yet this book was written because there's so many young people who don't have a compass to help them figure out what they're born to do. And so, mm-hmm. Mark is able to, in, in this story, this young guy, he's able to, uh, to get it figured out by the end somewhat. And it's a cool story. And there's a journal slash process in the back of this table that, you know, 50 pages or so that people can work through. And we've had so many colleges that will take their freshman class through or, you know, high schools, even we've got people in their twenties, companies give it to their, you know, young employees, that, those kind of things. So that's a cool book. Uh, and then, and then the sequel really is a book we wrote called unstuck, mm-hmm. which is a book about, uh, Mark's father in this first book. Uh, by the end of that book, this guy realizes he's, he's in the middle of his life and he's lost traction. He's just, he's just disengaged. In, in some ways. And so this book is about anybody who feels like they're in a dead end job or in the wrong job, or they feel like they've lost their heart and their family or anywhere. This book is really about living and, and leading with traction. And so we've, we've, uh, we've created a, a resource there. And again, at, in the back of the fable, there's a process that people can work through. So Dan and I did those two books together. Uh, you can get both of them at, um, you, you can, you can, uh, get both of them online. Uh, finding your way is at findingyourway.us and unstuck. You can get at Barnes and Noble or Amazon or anywhere it, your books are sold. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I can't, I can't recommend those books enough. They're incredible, incredible resources. And it's really, it's really solidified of where I'm at now and what I'm doing. I, I just want to say thank you again for you and Dan for writing that those two books are incredible. So kind of as yeah. we finish up, how, how can people find, Oh, go ahead, Randy. Well, I was just going to mention one other thing. Mark Miller and I've done a bunch of resources that I referred to earlier and we have all our stuff at leadeveryday.com. So that's, yeah. that's there. go to leadeveryday.com, all kind of leadership resources that we've created an ecosystem of thought leadership, really to help businesses, companies, individuals, whatever, 
all kind of great stuff there at leadeveryday.com. Yeah. But I think you're asking, where can they find me? Randygravit.com. Just, you can put it in the show notes, but yeah, you can reach out Randy at randygravit.com. It's my email. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to interact with any of your listeners. I'll even give you my cell phone. It's 658-858-1167. Feel free to to text. Wow. If, if you call it. Rewind it. Write it down. Pause it. I'll, I'll say it again. 678-858-1167. If you call and I'm available, I'll answer. The voicemail usually stays full, but feel free to text. I'll get back with you if I can. So if I can help anybody, uh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. So. Wow. That is fantastic. Randy, thank you so much for joining us. And kind of as we finish up, do you have any last words, just words of encouragement for our listeners today? Uh, I, I just, I think I would say, um, never underestimate that the little things you do can end up meaning a lot down the road. And I'll, I'll, I'll share just a quick, um, something that's just, just happened. It's tax season. We've just done taxes. And, uh, my father-in-law who died, uh, he died about four or five, almost five years ago. Now he was a pine tree farmer. Mm-hmm. And we just got a K one from this farm that he he left uh, for for some timber that we cut this last year. Now my my father in law's been gone five years. We just harvested some pine trees that he planted thirty plus years ago. I mean, he literally planted these trees thirty years ago, and we just got some money off of those this year, five years after he's gone. And so I think there's a good picture there. It's, it's this idea that the, the seeds we're sowing today, they're going to they're gonna reap a harvest, not just are we trying to make the playoffs this year, wow. not just are we trying to build a program for the next four or five years, but they're going to be lives that you're going to touch. Mm. And those young leaders, those young players, those young people that you're around, or even the older people, they're going to have influence on people. And we just don't know generationally what that's going to do. So I would just encourage your people to, to – um, to remember you reap what you sow. That's what the Bible would say. You reap what you sow, but mm. the Bible doesn't say this, but the truth is you reap later than you sow. You got to sow it now. Mm. And then you, and you, it's, it's cool. And you know, if I could be biblical here for a second in God's economy, it just seems like you reap way more than you sow too. It just continues wow. to bring a harvest and, and, and a lot of it, you never really even will know about it, but it's, I, I still believe it's worth it to do that. So our family's benefited from him doing that. I think, I think that's the mindset of the best leaders. They're like, they're just trusting if I do the right thing, it's somebody's going to benefit at some point down the road. If I, if I do it with all my heart, you know, I, I, I don't have to worry about how it grows. Yeah. I just got to know, do I show up and do what I'm supposed to do? And those are great last words. And I think of the verse in Zechariah where it talks about don't despise small beginnings mm-hmm. and you never yeah. know where, where that comes about and you reap what you sow. So Randy, I can't thank you enough for joining us, for taking some time out of your, your busy schedule to join us. It was an honor, a privilege to have you on the sweat room today. That's fantastic, fellas. Y'all keep sweating. Will do, will do. <laughs> well, thank you, Randy, for joining us today. Bjorn, what were some of your thoughts and reflections with our episode with Randy today? Yeah, it was, a, it was a good episode. It was a lot of fun, a lot of wisdom there. I think one of my favorite things that he mentioned was the five to nine leadership. Hmm. Um, and it reminded me of something I read not too long ago that oftentimes the best gift that we can give people is a good example. And that is what happens from five to nine with our families, with our friends, with whoever. Yeah, it's important to be a good example and to, you know, live authentic faith and authentic, authentic life from nine to five when you're at work or whenever your work hours are. 
but it's also very important to live that out the other part of our life too. Um, and so I thought that was really powerful. Um, and just a reminder to me, um, to, you know, to practice what I preach when I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm playing sports, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm with my family, wherever it is, whenever it is to practice that. And that's, um, what can create a, a whole life. Um, that's really authentic. So that was one of my favorite things was that, that five to nine leadership when you're at home, when you're not working, um, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. What about you, Noah? I love that. I love the five to nine leadership. And yeah, sure, our professional life matters, but behind the scenes, it matters too with our family and what we do behind the yeah, scenes. And even that. more, matters even more. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. But I think one of my favorite things from this is I've gotten to, to read his book and Dan Webster's book, Finding Your Way and Unstuck. And that was just really helpful for me just to really obviously it, it's a great compass those that's those that's what those books are for mm-hmm. they're they're a compass to maybe not answer every question but mm-hmm. help you to go in the right direction and i went through his leadership course as well and that was amazing but what's even great about this is we got to talk with him in person i thought that was really unique and we got to sit and hear ask even more questions but i loved how we finished and talking about how chasing greatness and that's what randy's podcast is about is chasing greatness mm-hmm. and he talked about being a servant-led leader and man that's so important is no matter what we're doing what's going on in our life is being a servant-minded leader first and he finished with this you can't drift into leadership you can't drift into the next opportunity no one drifts to greatness yeah i think i think what's also key to remember is that as we are chasing greatness as we are being intentional about getting there and not just you can't drift to it like he says i think it's important to remember that we can never get there. Hmm. We can always continue to chase to be greater and greater, hmm. to be better and better, to be more and more like Christ. And yeah, two years from now, a year from now, I hope that I am better than I am today. But I know that a year or two from now, I will not be at my pinnacle. I will not be at the peak and there will still be more to go. So I think that's almost a posture of living, of right. chasing greatness, a posture of living, of knowing that I can better myself. And when I better myself, I can better the world. And when I better myself, I can be a better vessel for Christ to use, to work through me. Um, and so I think that's really important it, with this idea of chasing greatness is you're not tra- chasing this idea and this platform that once you reach it, you're good and you can stop. It's no, keep going. Yeah. Keep pursuing. And, and it's important. similar to the motto of our podcast it's get it gotta give it we're always learning and we're always teaching always applying and it's this constant phase of yeah we're chasing that i love how it's chasing and it's a verb it's we're still going Mm -hmm. it's not chase greatness you know we're consistently pursuing that so yeah such a good reminder and kind of like you said earlier great wisdom episode and man I, I took a lot out of this episode and I say to our listeners all the time is take notes and you know you and I don't have it all figured out but and neither does Randy but he's got a lot of wisdom and mm-hmm. so man what a good episode yeah that's good and next week, everybody, we're going to be having Tennessee Titans punter Barrett Kern on the podcast with us. His dad is Cal Kern, who's one of our former guests that we've had, who's the UB chaplain. And Brett has an incredible story and how he ended up at Tennessee. Talks about his faith journey much more. Here's an excerpt. Really wanted to be um, 
a testimony on the team, you know, be consistent in my faith. Not, not one of those people that would come to the FCA Bible study in the morning. And then that later that night I'm out, you know, hammered with, with my buddies and they're thinking, well, Hey, if he's going to Bible study and now he's out drinking, Hey, I could do it too. You know, really just wanted to be a consistent pillar of, of, um, showing Jesus's love and, uh, really seeing, uh, or showing to my teammates that there was something different about me. And, uh, and that was Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sweat Room Sports and Faith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to stay connected with us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Watermark Sports, on Twitter at Sweat Room Pod, and our new blog at watermarkwesleyan.com slash blog. Until next time, get it, got it, and give it. Thanks for listening to the Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. 